might say, well, I could take care of just about everything if I had an endless reservoir of money. Well, that's what a lot of people think, the way a lot of people live. seems to me the way a lot of people have, have orientated their values in life. And as the text kind of points out to us, the, those with money most often have it and keep it because they have either oppressed people or intimidate people or whatever. That's why they're afraid here. Why should I fear? So I want to introduce this chapter, this psalm to you this morning with a couple of questions that I think are, are, are important for us to address that grow out of here. The, the first is this. Should I be concerned that I don't have very much money? I think that's what the, the, the fear was on this individual was being addressed. Uh, what exactly should I fear in life? I mean, should I, should I fear, it's, notice in verse 4, should I, should I fear the, um, or verse 5, when evil days come to me, or, or, or wicked people who are surrounding me and trying to rip me off? Should I be afraid of that? Should I watch the wealthy with all of their possessions? And, and should that concern me that, that they're trusting the things and I, I don't really have much? Should, that, should I be afraid about that? Should I fear the, the fact that the, the measure of significance in our world seems to be how much you have? The person with the most toys at the end wins. Should I be concerned about that? Well, I think there's a second question that grows out of this psalm as well. And it's to the other group of people, the wealthy people. Should, should I be concerned that I have a great amount of wealth? I mean, how good is my money going to be at the end? Am I going to reach the other side of the grave and someone is going to stop me at the, uh, at the other side and say, your money's no good here? Is that, is that what's going to happen to me? I mean, I've been conditioned to believe that I can buy whatever I want or whatever I need. Should I be concerned about that? Should I be particularly concerned as the realities of death close in? So this psalmist calls out in song, and I, I wonder what the song would have been like. I think it would have been a very boisterous song so that everybody could hear it. It says here, right from the very beginning. So I don't think they were kind of whispering a little meditation song. I think they were just, hear, listen, understand, everyone, all over the world. This is an important message. And I will expound, it says in verse 4, on on my riddle or on my enigma. What is the enigma of the text? What is the thing he's having trouble reconciling or concerning himself about? It's, I think it's the relationship between great riches and the realities of death. Is that, that money can fix everything. Are you not getting it, he says? Do you not get it? One of my great enigmas in life is the, the U.S. dollar, the $1 bill. Ever taken a look at that thing and studied it? Particularly the back of it? It says on the very back of it, In God we trust. I find that almost a laughable enigma. I can't think of anything that there is on the face of the globe in terms of a, an illustration of where we would be least likely to trust in God than currency. It, it just strikes me as, who thought of that? Who, who put that there at the very beginning when they were putting out the currency and God we trust? Or is, in fact, that a little g-God? Anyway, I'm not sure it has anything to do with our sermon today, but that's my personal enigma, and I thought I would just share that with you. It's, it's, I've always struggled with that. What does that have to do with trusting in God? 
And so this enigma here that the text brings to us is death is going to come. And what about wealth? What about riches? Should we be concerned about that? Everyone has to face the gigantic reality of death. And and it's almost as if the psalmist is saying to everyone, give your heads a shake. You're not facing reality. And and, and this psalm is basically broken into two sections. The one is a death reality check, is verses 7 to 12, I think. And then verses 13 to 20 are living in light of death that is looming. And and I want to share those two sections with you this morning and, and point out to you the first section I think could be properly entitled, Did You Know That Death renders money useless. Has anybody ever told you that? That death will render money useless? I I think that's what this psalm is saying, the front end of the psalm. I I think, in fact, there's sort of five reality checks that grow out of that title, that death renders money useless, that we can find in the text. And the first is this, that, that, that money is... Useless after death because money is temporal. You ever notice as you look around, the, the rich, they seem so invulnerable. Don't they? But are they? I mean, as, as the, the psalmist says here in verse 6 at the very end, they boast of their great riches. The New American Standard Bible, in translating that word great, uh, translates it abundance. They have an abundance. It, They just keep going to the bank machine and it keeps spewing out money for them. When the kids were little and we went to Florida one time, I ran out of money. And and so I I went to an ATM machine, you know, and and I had the kids looking on and everything. And I put my card in and you know how it works. And all the money spews out and you take a wad of money back. And I said to the kids, isn't this an amazing country? (laughs) They may have got that idea too uh, entrenched in their lives. I'm not sure. But, but you know, it's, it's an amazing thing for these wealthy people because it just keeps pouring out whenever they need it. They just, and time seems irrelevant. But there's a crack in their strength, we notice, in verse 6 at the very beginning. It says, those who trust in their wealth. I find that kind of a alarming and unnerving. And anybody who serves the living God finds that statement alarming. The reason we find that alarming, I, 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 suspect, I think there's a bunch of you in here who have some Zimbabwean money. I, I got like $10 billion. There's my note. There's my thing right there. I, I have $10 billion Zimbabwean dollars. I know that Mary Bond has like a trillion. We, we are a very rich staff. You've you got to know that we have, we have billions and trillions of Zimbabwean dollars. We're just having trouble exchanging it here in Canada. Uh, that, that $10 billion, it can't buy me a stick of bubble gum in Canada. But one time, at one time, if you had $10 billion, Zimbabwean dollars before Robert Mugabe messed up the country. You'd be an incredibly wealthy person. And, and the, the psalmist is saying, um, excuse me, but they're putting their trust in that. Reality check number one. Money 
It's temporal. It won't buy anything in heaven. This is earthly currency. And sometimes it won't buy anything on earth. There's a second reality check, which I think is the, the big one here in the, uh, of the, the five that I want to show to you. Verse 7, do, do people not know that, that you can't redeem the life of another person with your money? Do people not get that? That no amount of money can buy what every person needs most, which is salvation, redemption, the purchase out of the sin slave market? Do you not know that? No payment is ever enough. For the ransom for a life is costly. Does, does no one understand that? that? That there is one ransom you can't buy your way out of? Does, does, do people not realize that there's one ransom note that money can't take care of? For the wages of sin is death. And so the rich and the poor are at an equal footing. What do Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Mark Zuckerberg all have in common? Now the first service knew the answer to this. Huh? Yeah, they're all loaded with money. They're all, they're all incredibly wealthy. Has anybody told them that they can't buy their salvation no matter how much money they have no no matter how many computers Bill Gates buys for poor children around the world he isn't buying redemption from God does he understand that money cannot buy redemption no payment it says here is ever enough by the way in verse 9 that that he should live on forever and not see decay that word is not decay it's the pit literally it says that he will not see the pit you can't buy yourself out of the pit i find that an important reality check i notice a third reality check here and you can't that you can't buy eternal life notice in verse 10 eternal life, so why is so much energy expended on wealth? I, I've learned something in my life, and maybe you've noticed this too, that, that rich people die as often as poor people. Have you noticed that? I, I mean, it's not really profound. I realize that, but, but, I, but I just thought I'd share that with you in case you didn't know. That rich people die as often as poor people. I, I got that on like a CNN Twitter tweet thing. Not really. I got it from the Word of God here. Newsflash. Really. Reality check. Wise, foolish, senseless, wealthy, whatever. All have this in common, an appointment with death. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Another question for you. How much do rich people leave behind? Everything. Everything. And so um, I notice as I read this text that, that regardless of how opulent you lived, regardless of how amazing your crib is, that how much property you have, the, that there's something that's very common to all of us. Everybody ends up with very similar real estate. You notice that? That your last house is a box. Now, I know this is getting maybe a little depressing for you, but... But that's what, this, that's what it says, that you remain, that their tombs will remain their houses forever. And, and, and your, your, last, your last plot of real estate is going to be just that. It's going to be a little piece of real estate. You understand that? It's not going to be a great quantity of property. 
kind of reminds me of the, sto- the, 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 the sermon that Tony Campolo gave. You ever, you ever heard that one he gave? One of these days, you're all going to die. And they're going to dig a hole. And they're going to put you in it. And they're going to put dirt on your face. And they're going to go back to the church and eat potato salad. Do, do rich people know this? And the lands that were named in your honor, it says here. You know, though you had these, you know, you know you, you've, been on, you've been on tours. You, you guys have been around. Even in Oshawa, you know, like have the, like, you know, you go and you look at something and say, this is the Norman Rockwell Memorial Museum. I'm like, who cares? Like, I, you know, the only pr- people who ever cared about that was his kids and then the first generation. After that, everybody's like, I don't care. And, and so, um, probably the last thing that your name will ever be engraved on is a plaque on your tombstone. Do, do we know this? Do we understand this? There's a final reality check that I think in this first section I notice is that it says, but man, verse 12, despite his riches, does not endure. Money can't keep it going. I, I find this, um, this word here, endure, interesting. It's, it's an attempt to translate the literal words that say um, overnight lodging overnight. Some have translated it abide, but nobody really translates it lodge overnight. And, and nobody seems to be able to understand that, so they thought, well, it's really endure or abide or whatever. And I was thinking to myself, you know, because I've just come off summer holidays and everything. If you look at that and you pay attention, I, I think the psalmist, what he's saying here is, but man, despite his amazing amounts of wealth, when death comes calling, he can't even buy one more night's lodging. You know, you know, when you're in a hotel and, and you say, look, I, I, you know what, this is such a cool place, I think I'm going to stay another night. So you go down to the, the hotel, uh, you know, the manager, and you say, I think I'll stay another night. Sorry, it's all booked up. Uh, well, I have 10 billion Zimbabwean dollars. <laughs> you say, well, okay, for you, we can get a room. You know, it's like, it's like you, can buy another, you can buy another night. But when death comes, you can have a gazillion dollars. And you can't stave it off one more night. You can't even buy one more night's lodging. Reality check. And so he says at verse 13, This is the fate of those who trust in themselves. Something, isn't it? He parallels the idea of trusting in wealth and trusting in yourself. That's what it really is. Let's not fool ourselves. When we're trusting in wealth, we are really trusting in ourselves. And, and he um, moves it into, um, this is the fate, right? This is the way it's going to, this is God's commentary, by the way. This, next, this rest of this psalm is God's commentary on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. There's no TV reality show 
that's entitled God's Commentary on the Rich and Famous. Wouldn't that be an interesting show? I'd like to think churches maybe that. And so I've, I've entitled this next, the second section, What's in Your Spiritual Wallet? Have you, you seen that commercial? You know, what's, what's in your wallet? Some people say it's kind of a racist commercial. It's a bunch of Vikings and stuff. I'm like, come on, Sweden, Denmark, get over it. You know, nobody, it's no big deal, right? What's in your spiritual wallet, I think, is an important section. An important question to ask. It's as if this section moves into the idea, you you ought to be living like you were dying. Think of that Tim McGraw song. It's not really talking about, you know, I'm going to go skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing. I'm, I'm going to like do 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. That, that's not what he's talking about here. He's, notice what he's talking about here. He's saying, I want you to get a picture of people as if they were sheep. As if they were livestock grazing in a field. Munching away, thinking, oh, the farmer is such a nice person. He has us out here in the field and he's feeding us all this stuff. And we're just... We're just munching on this food and life is so wonderful I'm going to put my feet up someday and retire in this nice pen and just gorge myself. You notice what it says in the text? They are in the crosshairs of death. I mean, the only reason farmer has them is just to kill them, to eat them. This is really uplifting stuff, isn't it? <laughs> but but let's, let's be honest. Rednecks like this stuff. Let's be honest. I'm looking at Paul over there. Let's be honest. That's what it is. They're, they're in the crosshairs of the farmer to, 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 to slaughter. It's like we're all like sheep. People are all like sheep being led to the slaughter, being led into shoal. It's what it says. I, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what this song says. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave. And death is just like, I can't wait to feed on them. That's the picture. It's, it's the whole idea of those who have cared for themselves in life waste away in death. The farmer has no other plans. Except we have this amazing turnaround now in the song. It's a turnaround we're all going to like if you follow Jesus. But the upright will rule over them in the morning. Their, their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God, because I, I was a little bit afraid when I was reading the first part, like nothing can redeem me. There's nothing that can purchase me out of the slave market of sin. There's nothing that can purchase me out of the, the pen that is headed to slaughter, to the pit. There's nothing. Oh, no, 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 there is. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Pause. Think about that. While they're going down, the upright are going up. Because God can do for you what money could never do. You know, some say there's no teaching on resurrection in the Old Testament. Come on. You better believe there is. And the good news of this text is that he alone can buy you out of the the slave market pen of slaughter and lift you to life and to rule in better than princely mansions. Do you understand what the good news is here? Living forever, not seeing decay, ransomed from the pit. 
Your redemption can be purchased and has been purchased, but only by Jesus Christ. Not by silver and gold, not by great wealth. All the money in the world couldn't purchase it. It's too costly, God says. It could only be purchased by my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life a ransom for you. Is that good news? Because because notice what happens here. There's a bunch of reversals that take place. The, The upright will rule over them in the morning when it's darkness forever for those outside of God. They will rule over them in the morning while they are in decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. God redeems us from the grave and takes us to himself. There's a complete reversal here. The upright will rule while they see decay. We go from the grave to himself. They, they're in the grave, far from their princely mansions. So, verse 16. Do not envy those growing rich in this, things of this world. Because prosperity tends to distract people from the most urgent realities. What about death? What are you doing to prepare for death? Have you thought about that or you just think you can buy everything? Don't be impressed and don't be intimidated. They're taking nothing with them. In their, splend- in their splendor will not descend with them. It's kind of a, took a side swipe at the Egyptians, actually. Keep in mind, the, the culture that was first laying their ears on this song, they saw their neighbors in other nations building up these great pyramids and, 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 and these great wealthy Egyptians who would take all of their things and take them with them. They saw all of this stuff and, and they were wondering about it. Should I be taking this stuff along with me? Well, I tell you something. None of these Egyptians took this stuff with them. I know because I went to Cairo and many of you came with me and we went into the uh, museum in Cairo and, and King Tutankhamun's stuff is in that museum. He, he might have thought it was going with him, but I saw it with my own eyes. It's, it's in a museum in Cairo right now. So God tells us the truth. When you don't understand, one writer says, the true implications of death, you will miss the implications of true life. Life seems so good. They seem so invulnerable. They count themselves blessed. They're full of self-congratulation and the enjoyment of praise, but none of it from God. I think the last statement on this whole section should be this. Blessed is the man or the woman who dies with his spiritual wallet full. One more story. And then we'll sing. When I, uh, I think it's about 14 years ago when I was pastoring elsewhere, I was doing a funeral for a very wealthy man. And his daughter-in-law came to me and she said, what an amazing man he was. And I said, yeah, that's true. I was wondering what she was going to say. She said, did you know that he died with his wallet full of cash? And I kind of looked at her. I, I didn't know what to say. 
I thought, I thought, that's how you measure the value of this man? That he died with his wallet full of cash? Are, are, you, not, are you not in the same reality as I'm in right now? His wallet full of cash is with us, and he's gone. They've parted ways. Do you not get that? Whether I die with my wallet full of cash, which is highly unlikely or not, <laughs> Lynn will make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> I don't want anybody to ever... That, I would want someone to say he had his spiritual wallet full of cash. That's why Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust and mildew and Robert Mugabe can't get to. I want to be rich in God. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Death is coming. Do you not know that? Therefore, prepare with your wealth for that reality and fear God. Our Father, I pray this morning as we have had time to um, look a little more carefully at the song in Psalm 49. Lord, you're calling out for us to hear and listen and understand. I pray, Father, as we Sila a little bit, this stuff. Pause, think, give some soak time and reflection time to these things. That the Holy Spirit will work his work in our hearts and our lives to help us to come to a serious realization of the way things really are with us, with our wealth, with... um, the reality of death, and the understanding, Father, that the, the basic Christian, Canadian Christian, is the wealthiest of people in comparison to our brothers and sisters around the world. So, Lord, help us to take to heart what you are saying to us today. For Jesus' sake, amen. One of the big nasty tools in Satan's intimidation toolkit is fear. I I think that's what drives this whole issue in Psalm 49. The people who accumulate more and more of the wealthy, they're, they're afraid. They live with great fears. They rely on themselves. They try to find other things they can trust in. It didn't surprise me that one of the banners that blew down this week was blown down, I think, by Satan. Because that banner said, Trade fear for hope. That's the one that blew down. He doesn't want that message out there. And, and that's why the, the people of the, the text are calling out, what sh- should we be afraid of, uh, of people who are trying to rip us off around? And should we be, be afraid that we don't have enough money and all of that? Or, I mean, are we going to be okay? And, and, and the message of this psalm is, fear God alone. Trust in Him. He's the only one. Trade all of your other fears for God. He's the only one who can redeem you from the pit. 
That's the strong message of this text. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1-7. That's the message here for all of us. God is your great God. Trust in him. Trust in him with all of your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. And allow the Holy Spirit to shift all of the price tags so that you value and treasure Christ most. Father, I pray this morning that that will be the benediction for our hearts, that we would be people who fear the Lord and that you would have all of us and that you would have all that we have, knowing full well that one day we will part ways with the things of this world. So Lord, please, please, please impress upon us of how important investing in a day like yesterday was. Investing in people's lives that they might hear the good news. That they don't have to be afraid anymore. That they don't have to be guilty anymore. That, that the Lord Jesus Christ can take away their fear and their guilt and can, can take them from the slave market of sin and themselves and that they might serve the Savior who loves them. Help us, Lord, to be a church that really sees the opportunities that we have to get the message out there, but God can redeem and does redeem, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might be free of fear, and that we might go with him forever. Lord, thank you for that great message. In Jesus' name, amen.